Bob, do you think confidence can be faked? Like if things oh, I... aren't working for you that day, can you fake feeling confident for the next shot? I've always hated this term. Fake it till you make it. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. It's just me today. Mr. Cermak could not make it. Before we get to this amazing interview with Dr. Bob Winter, sports psychologist, coach, some of the best players in the world. In case you're new, guys, welcome aboard the part train. Golf game off the rails. You've come to the right place. We help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The Part Train Podcast unpacks the mental game with PJ Torpros, best-selling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists, like today with Dr. Bob Winters, everyday golfers like you and me, and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. Before we get to this episode with Dr. Bob, this is back-to-back weeks of Dr. Bob. Last week, we had Dr. Bob Bertella and one of his colleagues and good friends, Dr. Bob Winters, who studied with him at the University of Virginia, is on the show. But before we get to that, a quick word from a new sponsor, Cure Hydration. Okay, don't fast forward through this, guys. I'm telling you, a lot of people have been starting to use these hydration packets, right? Like Liquid IV and all these other brands. But if you look at those ingredients, there's a bunch of crap in it. And something I don't talk a lot about on Instagram and on this show is how important my diet and my eating and my nutrition is. Uh, I'm really focused on the quality of my ingredients more than like fat or, you know, calories, all that stuff. To me, the most important thing is the quality of the ingredients. And I've tried those other ones, those other hydration packets, and didn't really do much for me. But I'm going to tell you, I've been searching far and wide to multiply my hydration because I know how important it is. Tom Brady talks about hydration all the time as a huge key to his success. And look, We're out there on the golf course, you might be drinking booze, you might be doing whatever, you're going to be dehydrated, you're going to get tired, and you might be hungover in the morning from drinking the night before, and you need to hydrate ASAP. So Cure Hydration is the greatest hydration packet I've ever tried, okay? They've got so many different flavors, and they all aren't sugary, you know, it's just a very subtle, clean flavor, okay? They've got watermelon, they've got berry pomegranate. They've got lemon, grapefruit, and ginger turmeric. My favorite's watermelon. I'd say my second favorite's probably the grapefruit and then lemon. But here's the thing. I'm going to give you guys a quick story. Uh, I've struggled with altitude uh, since I was a kid. And uh, a huge thing for altitude is hydration. Now, I'm going to bring this around for you to understand for golf in a second. Um, But this proves how effective Cure Hydration is. So I went to Tahoe over the holidays. And previously, in order to make sure that I would be able to handle the uh, the altitude, I would need to hydrate a lot. Like I'm talking four bottles of my big bottle uh, of water before I even get into altitude, and then I need to hydrate the whole time I'm there. And even when I did that, I wouldn't feel as sick. I'd feel okay. I'd be high functioning, but I would still feel a little off. I'd still feel a little, a little dizzy. Sometimes I get a headache, but you know I could manage. But when I went to Tahoe. I just found Cure Hydration, and this proves how much it's hydrating. I think it's 4x the hydration of a standard glass of water, and I think it's the amount of hydration you get in an IV drip, but in these these packets. So I drank one every morning, and I drank one at night, 
And I have never felt better in, in altitude. It's basically like I was at sea level. I, I was I was a hundred percent. I had never felt this way before. And I have never had a hangover since using cure hydration. I drink cure hydration before I go to bed. If I have a few cocktails, I wake up feeling not foggy at all. I feel fantastic. So here's what you got to do. Go to curehydration.com, enter the code train and get yourself 20% off. And I'm going to read you the ingredients real quick. Okay. Listen to these ingredients, organic coconut water powder, watermelon juice powder, non-GMO citric acid, pink Himalayan salt, organic watermelon flavor, sodium citrate, so salt, organic stevia extract, lemon juice powder, beet powder, monk fruit ex extract. I mean, there's nothing in there that you don't know what it is. And I've never had a hangover with them. I've never felt better on the golf course. So go to curehydration.com, enter the code train and get yourself some hydration without needing to drink six glasses of water a day. Okay. I reached out to them to make this happen because I love them so much. So take my word for it. It costs like 15 bucks. Get yourself 20% off. Enter the code train, cure hydration, and start getting more hydrated on the course. Okay. Dr. Bob Winters. I mean, this guy is 22 years as the resident sports psychologist for the Ledbetter Academy, world teaching headquarters in Championsgate, Florida. He talks about that. He's coached U.S., British, Scottish, and Australian amateur champions, as well as U.S. Open, U.S. Senior Open, and Masters champions. Uh, he used to work with Brooks Kepka. The guy wrote the book Mistake-Free Golf, Golf Week Magazine's mental game consultant and editor, and he's internationally renowned as one of the top sports psychologists specializing in confidence-building, sports vision, putting, and performance enhancement. The other thing, too, is Bob has played at the highest level. Bob played professionally, played in college. He coached. Virginia golf program. He's kind of done it all. And he's known as the confidence doctor. So if you've ever struggled with confidence, I think this episode's going to be for you. Uh, Dr. Bob is a great guy. I think this is a real treat and privilege uh, for you guys to get Dr. Bob Rotella one week and Dr. Bob Winters the next. They've worked together at Virginia, like I said at the beginning, and and they have different takes on things. And I think you'll get little nuggets from each. So um Thank you to Dr. Bob for coming on. Uh, if we've provided any value for you guys, do us a solid. Uh, I put a lot of time and effort into this show and um, hours upon hours per day to try and add value for you. So if we have, I think the best thing that you can do for us is to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, share it with a friend, and follow us at The Par Train. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are probably the best three places to do it. And no matter how you're hitting it, no matter how bad you're feeling about your game, guys, just remember, enjoy the ride. All right, take care. Dr. Bob Winters, it's my pleasure to welcome you aboard the PAR train. Happy to chat with you today, Bob. Evan, it's great to be part of this PAR train. And I'll tell you what, I'm the little engine that could. And uh, <laughs> I'm you know, one of those people who just you know, wants to get on the tracks, get on board, and uh, enjoy the ride. So I've really been looking forward to talking with you and uh, helping all of our listeners, you know, get better, you know, today. I love it. Well, so many of our listeners feel like their game's off the rails, right? Continuing the train puns and we're trying to get them back on track. I think this conversation is going to be a great start to that. Bob, I thought about a lot of different ways to start today. And I kept coming back to something you said to me on the phone about a month ago when we first connected. You said, cliches 
are golden nuggets of truth. And we were kind of debating this about how so many people disregard things because they're a cliche. Um, but actually, you reminded me that cliches are the things we need to pay the most attention to. So I thought that's an interesting jumping off point for today. I wanted you to expand on that. Well, that's that's a great point. I think, you know, when we start talking about the cliches in golf, I mean, we all hear them. And even when people tell us to go out and play our game, you know, we hear these cliches, play your game, mm-hmm. you know, take it one shot at a time, yeah. be in the moment, you know, even hear some of the funny ones like be the ball, be the target. But when you hear people say that, and when they step up on the first tee, you know, they're thinking, yeah, play my game, yada, 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 you know, stay in the moment, yada, yada, yada. And they hear it so often. What do they hear? What do they play? They play yada, yada, yada. They don't really <laughs> take those cliches. But if you listen to every PGA tour, LPGA tour, European tour, or even college players, or even people at the club, when they are presented with a microphone in front of them, and they say, you know, how did, how did you win? How did you play so well? And they will always say, almost bashfully, almost yeah. embarrassed to say, yeah. well, I know it sounds like a cliche, but I just played my game. I didn't think about score. I let other people go and I stayed in the moment. And again, you know, that whole notion about, is that a cliche? These aren't cliches. These are the golden gospel truths. And every player worth their salt understands them. But what's really important for all of our listening audience to recognize and to adapt and to adopt is to say, hmm, I wonder what it means for me to play my game. And have I ever really understood what it meant to play my game? What does it mean to play one shot at a time? What does it mean for every shot to step in and give my best. And once you understand and can answer those questions, you now have some mental tools in your mental toolbox so you can go out and start to play more effectively. And that's why we were talking about the cliches are so important because everyone just sort of hears the yada, 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 but they don't hear the emotional and psychological impact that those cliches really have. Totally. And speaking of your own toolbox, I know one thing that's kind of separated you from others in your field and in the sports psychology area is you've talked a lot about walking the walk and talking the talk, right? You played at a high level yourself. You coached at the University of Virginia and obviously helped some of the best players in the world at their craft. So I thought it'd be really interesting to understand your biggest challenge when you were a player. And I know you've said part of being becoming a sports psychologist was healing your own wounds, right? Um, what was your biggest key personally, and how has that changed now um, when you play, to, if you feel like you're going off the rails? When I started playing the game, I was about 14, 15 years of age, and I was super small. I was about 4 foot 10, 85 pounds as a senior in high school. Mm. And I could crush the ball. This is a long time ago, but I could crush the ball off the tee, probably about 190 yards. And this is when we had wooden clubs and, you know, the balls, you know, weren't like they were today. But I learned from a very early age that the mind is going to give you that edge. You know, it's just sort of, I've always said, you know, you, you play with your heart 
you play with emotion. You also play, we know, with your intestinal fortitude. And I was sort of a tough, tenacious little player. I don't want to say I had a chip on my shoulder, but I mean, players would out drive me 30, 40, 50 yards. And even playing now with, you know, my tour players and elite players, I mean, they'll actually drive out driving now 30, 40, 50 yards because everybody hits it stupid long yeah. uh, and wonderfully long. So I had to find out from a very early age, what's going to give me an edge? What's going to separate me from everyone else? Because, you know, in this day and age, or even back then, everyone was trying to, you know, equalize. They had, you know, equal amount of clubs, equal, uh, you know, what they would, I would say, you know, they were trying to make themselves equal to everybody else. And then they get on the day and the first day on the tee and they look around and compare themselves and say, oh my gosh, I can't play with this guy. This guy, you know, is like the best in the state, best in the region. And we would do this whole comparison thing. And what I learned from a very early age is that if you're going to stand out to be outstanding, you have to play your own game and you've got to be able to let everybody else go. And as it went and I started, you know, becoming very, very uh, proficient as, you know, being right down the middle, up around the green, but getting it up and down. So I fell in love, you know, with my wedge. I became known as Winters the Wedge, uh, became very good from about 10 feet and in with the putter. And so I might in an 18 hole round only hit five or six or seven greens because I was always short of the greens. Uh, but I would find a way to get it up and down. And really, when you find out what separates the really great players at any level from those who are pretty damn good, it's that ability to think effectively and to get the ball in the hole as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So I learned from a very early age that, you know, when your mind is in the right place, that ball usually finds its way home. And so I did that through college. And as you say, I mean, I have played at every level. Uh, I've gone, you know, the PGA Tour qualifying school, Champions Tour qualifying school. I still keep my game at a very high level uh, because I'm, I'm not one of these mental game experts that says, hey, this is what you need to do. I mean, I got into the field because I wanted to do me search <laughs> rather than just research. I wanted to help me. I wanted to find out how it's going to help me because I tend to be a very I would think dynamic and passionate person, very creative, but also not anxious, but, you know, I have a high intensity, high passion level. So a lot of tournaments, you know, that I played in at an early age through high school, college, and even as a young professional, when I came down the stretch, I would feel a lot of nerves. And I actually went out the window a few times several times, many times. Okay. So I, I can empathize with everyone who's actually, you know, you know, what we call just screwed up, you know, coming down, you know, the, the stretch and people are very quick, you know, to assign a label and say that you're a choker, mm -hmm. that you choke this tournament. And I understand and I really want people to understand the difference when you've never been in a situation before, and you're coming down the stretch and you've never had the lead or had a, you know, been in a position to bring it home, so to speak, you're in uncharted water and you're just trying to tread water and, and just find out, okay, can I bring it home? So you really don't have a life jacket or a life support system to actually bring you to the shore. So you're out there treading water and what happens, you know, you fail. And a lot of people go, well, he or she just choked. 
to me, choking is when you've been in that situation many, many times and you still are unable to bring it home. You're still unable to close the deal. You haven't learned the lessons of failure before. Mm. But for me, if you've been in that situation one or two times and you have failed, what it means is, is that you're in unfamiliar territory and you're just still trying to figure out the very best way you know, to get it done. And that's what I think you know, confidence is all about. You know, confidence is having the, the learned experience, the competence to actually, I know from previous experience that this didn't work and now I've been working on it. Now I've actually substituted that thinking, that you know, type of play for this. And so confidence and competence sometimes are really well-earned. It's like trying to hold on to a long-stemmed rose the first time. You get pricked several times. After you've been pricked several times, you realize the delicacy of which you need to handle that long-stemmed rose. So those are some of the things, you know, when I talk about walking the walk, talking the talk, because I've played at every level. I've been a coach. I've been an educator. Uh, helped start all the Nike junior golf schools across America, did that for about 30 years. And I've seen a lot of good stuff. I've seen a lot of bad stuff. But the one thing that always remains is, is the point of when a player gets in that position to bring it home, you know, are you staying on task? Are you executing in the moment? Or are you allowing yourself to drift and your mind can take you for a ride someplace where you don't want to go. It's like being here on the par train. You say, hey, I want to go to uh, San Francisco, California. Okay, you're leaving LA. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to get on the wrong train going to Yuma, Arizona. Okay, so, I mean, which is directly, you know, the opposite way of where yeah. you want to go. So you always want to, you know, use your mind to help direct your, your intentions and behavior so you can get things done. And I think that's really where I learned it and I actually developed it. And uh, a lot of it was trial and error. But I will say, Evan, one of the things, you know, that I found out earlier in my career is that I was junkyard dog mean, kind of like the old Clint Eastwood, you know, movies, his line, junkyard dog mean. I was tenacious. You know, I wanted to win. I hurt a little bit, you know, when I lost. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to impart that type of mentality to my students is that you play to win, meaning you give your best. I mean, you play, you know, with passion, you play with love, you play with enjoyment, but also you refuse to lose, meaning you refuse to put in sort of a, a half ankle effort. You, you know, whatever, I'll just go through the motions. That to me is sort of a lackluster, a weak motivational effort. So when we start talking about getting your mind and body into every shot and giving your best, that's really, you know, what I work on a lot with my athletes. Yeah. Well, you said your definition of confidence was, uh, or is the residue of what you have accomplished when you faced adversity and difficulty and had the perseverance to know that you handled whatever came your way with a measure of success. And I think what's interesting about that, Bob, and we can unpack that, is most people think confidence, they get confidence from good things happening, right? I'm hitting some good shots. I'm starting to see some good shots. Now I'm confident. Now I can build on it. But, but yours is actually talking about facing adversity and knowing that you came out okay. Well, I think confidence, because I've written a new manuscript you know, about confidence, uh, and it's pretty extensive. 
And what I said is that confidence is this multidimensional construct, and it is made up of an amalgamation of positive experiences and less than positive experiences, coupled with the belief that one can and will actually produce something that will work. And it's associated with faith and belief in not only your innate abilities, but your developed abilities. Now, that's just one part of confidence because you're talking about believing in myself, believing in my competencies. But confidence is also the mental and emotional strength to resist those negative forces of distress, doubt, worry, fear, embarrassment, and all of that other psychological junk baggage that we carry and move through that towards the productive execution of a desired task. So to make it very clear in layman's terms for my uh, listeners, for all of our listeners here, is that confidence is almost like a boxer. You've got you know, both your left and your right fists. And whether you're an ultimate fighter or a boxer, the left jab is this belief system. I believe I can do this. I believe I can do this. I know I can do this. But the right cross, the knockout punch, is really the, the thing that people savor about confidence. It's the lack of fear, the lack of, I'm not scared of failing. I'm going to get through this. And whatever happens, I can handle it. And for me, those four words, I can handle it, or I can handle this, that gives you a lot of power. And when we start talking about power, we start talking about perceptions of control and controllability. And when you feel that you're in control and you know what you know, you can step into any shot and say, you know what? I know this is a difficult shot, but I've got the resources and the tools and, and I can handle this and yeah. let's go. And that's one of the innate challenges, Evan, that you know, people love about this game because you know, people are quite surprised, quite astonished <laughs> when they take on a challenge and they knew it was formidable. But they actually went ahead and did it and said, I'm going to do this. And then, boom, voila, you know, they have success. And I think those type of moments are epiphanies that help build confidence and competence. Bob, do you think confidence can be faked? Like if things oh, I, aren't working for you that day, can you fake feeling confident for the next shot? I've always hated this term, fake it till you make it. Uh, I've always hated that term because... Yeah. When a person says, you know, walk, talk, and act as if you're already there, I understand, you know, posture. I understand, you know, postural attitude, and it makes you feel better, and, you know, the endorphins start to kick in. But in golf, there's no BS. You can't BS a golf ball. Uh, the golf ball says, hey, don't lie to me, Bob. You know, I, know you're, yeah. I know you're not there. Because when you step into a golf shot with doubt, worry, trepidation, or fear, the effect you know, that you create within your body, the hit to shot, the golf ball reflects that intimidation. It reflects that doubt. So I, I don't like that. You know, uh, I think a lot of people do have what I call conditional confidence. Yeah. And, and conditional confidence is a pseudo or false confidence. It says, you know, when I achieve this, when I win this, if I make that first three footer on the first hole, Ooh, boy, then I'll feel confident. Yeah. That's not true confidence. True enduring confidence suggests, you know, whatever happens, you know, I'm actually into my thing, into my process, and, and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of this because I've already given myself emotional freedom, permission right from that first tee that I'm going to play the way I want to, and I'm not going to 
you know, bow down to doubt, worry, and distress. Now, when you show me an athlete that says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to play to play great today. I mean, no matter, even if I'm playing like crap, but I'm going out with the intention and the sense of purpose, I'm going out to go play great. Now, now we're, you know, cooking with gas. Now we've got something to work with because they're just not faking it. See, faking it till you make it is to me sort of self-deception you know, for your perception. And, and how do you even lie to yourself? You know that you're putting on a mask. It's fake. And there's no faking it in golf. So I always say this. I've always liked the Nike three words, just do it. But I like it, do it until you become it. Mm. And so what that means is we always talk about, you know, the book of secrets, you know, the law of attraction. Yeah. So it's the law of attraction plus this law of creating thinking the creative you know you have to be able to create along with the track and now when you put those two things together you've got something you know you can really do so do it until you become it and i think that's how we persevere and build psychological hardy attitudes resilience adaptability and these are all things you need not only just in golf but in every area of your life i'm glad you brought that up because that's literally how this show became what it was right five years ago nobody was listening but i did it and matt and i did it and now we're talking to you five years later I had rotella last week had some of the best players in the world just because we became it because we did it over time and i want to expand on creativity for a second because this really? is something that i actually realized this week about myself um i realized that i am not a technical person at all you throw a spreadsheet in front of me yikes okay i don't want to look at that i don't like numbers i don't like technical stuff i'm a feeler i'm a perceiver i'm a creative you know i like story i like narratives yet my golf swing is probably the only technical thing in my life and this is expanding on the belief and the confidence part is I've kind of realized I've told myself this, yeah, but narrative for a long time. Like, yeah, I've got the mental skills. Yeah, but I need to have this swing key before I play tomorrow because I don't inherently believe that I have the game, you know, or that I have that miss, that big miss that I'm trying to prevent. And I realized, and I'm playing this weekend, and I'm going to take this to the course. I realized I've never truly played golf, probably other than the rounds that I went really low. Uh, that I was truly a creative out there. I saw my shot, I hit my shot, I feeled my way around it, and you know what? I believed that I had it in me, and let's just, like, let's go play. And the only time I've ever done that is when I've been super confident in the actual key, and it became automatic for me. But I still played every hole with this, I gotta get to that position, or I gotta feel this in my takeaway, which isn't, necessarily a bad thing swing keys are important but you know i i've realized i've gone almost too technical and i've never truly let myself be a creative out there see that's a great you know uh, revelation for you is that you have to ask yourself i mean am i a technocrat or am i a feeler I and mean, technocrat means someone who needs sort of uh these training wheels i know that uh Sir Nick Faldo always had, you know, just one, two, three, 
different swing keys, swing cues, whatever you want to call them, you know, yeah. with David Ledbetter, who I've been with now for 22 years and others who are just, I really don't need anything. And I love really what you're saying about being creative because you have to ask yourself in every endeavor of your life, 24, seven, 365, other than golf, you know, you're out there just sort of freelancing it, you know, feeling it, seeing it and just trusting your instinct. But now we you go play golf. You're not playing the game of golf. You're not playing Evans golf. You're playing coercive golf. You yeah. are trying to actually manipulate and through motor mechanics and, oh, I've got to do this and I have to do that versus just, you know, stepping it back. Now, I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, you just need to be thinking about nothing. You need to be mm -hmm. mindless. I'm sort of more of the Jedi Knight to be mindful of the moment. I want my mind to be filled with a very specific task of what I want to do, a very specific feel. And that feel I'm going to create in my rehearsal phase of my pre-shot routine from behind the ball. And so I'm going to sort of preset, we call this neural priming. I'm going to prehearse, which is pre and rehearse. I'm going to prehearse this feel, kind of set it in motion in my head. So I'm really priming the pump here. So when I step into the ball, you know, really now my visual and my motor system take over. I'm looking at the target and I am falling in love with my target. And that's really what being engaged means. Mm. When two young lovers get together, they want to get engaged. What that means, they're absorbed in each other. They're committed to each other. So when we say, you know, fall in love with your target, engage with the target, that's what we're saying. We're saying when you step in, you know what you're going to do because you've already, you know, prehearsed and set you know, that feel in motion. So when you step into the ball, you aim and align, and you swing that feel to the target. And let me give you a great example. I had you know, a nice you know, visit with Sam Sneed before he passed away. And I asked him, I said, Sam, I said, you're one of the very best swingers, golfers in history. I said, what is it that you're thinking about you know, when you step into the ball? It's not like when you're hitting it, but what's going on? And he looked at me and, he said, well, Bob, he goes, I love what you're doing. I love what you're saying to me. He said, but I think I've just got one thing I'm thinking about really consciously. I just want to be oily. Mm. I just want to be oily. And that was his image cue. So what I'm trying you know, to do, and maybe even my suggestion to you, is find yourself a word or a couple of words that it's not technical, but it allows you to swing Sure. In this very creative, fluid fashion, we always talk about swinging, you know, with fluidity and flowing motion. And yeah. I think that's really what great athletes do. They create sort of this oily mechanism in their own minds, whatever words you want to use. But I think this sub vocalization that you know, the things that we say to ourselves, we embed in sort of our kinesthetic response. And so we step into the ball, we're swinging this wonderful motion. Uh, I know that we have mirror neurons in the brain. And it's funny because I would actually go on TV and I would watch people like Tom Watson and I would watch his swing over and over. And, you know, the old rhesus monkeys, you know, monkey see, monkey do. You'd be yeah. watching on TV and then you'd go out and play and go, I'm going to swing like Tom Watson. And you swing like Tom Watson. So I think one of the most creative things we can do is, you know, what's the player I love to swing like the most and that can I, I can emulate the most. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to watch him swing. And then another thing I've said, and I've said this for three decades now, 
when you are playing your best, swinging your best, videotape it, you know, record it, you know, write down, you know, the feelings, because yeah. then you can go back. Then you are your own control group. You are your own professional expert model. Watch what you do when you're actually swinging very efficiently, very effectively, and understand what that is. For me, that is something that really builds what I call movement confidence, because movement confidence is really when people say, well, trust your swing. And they're saying, what the hell does that mean? Movement confidence is the sense of adequacy and belief that if I do this, you know, everything's going to come together. That's really when people are saying, I feel really confident because you are your golf swing. And I, I love it when people say, boy, my, my golf swing, it's, it's really good today. They make it sound like it's another person that is standing <laughs> right next to them. Oh, hey, we're going to really kick some ass, right? Yeah. And so the next day, uh, they're looking around on the tee box and they're looking at their watch and go, man, my swing hasn't shown up today. I, I hope he or she shows up. So the point of it is you are your golf swing. And what we're trying to do is create that feeling of certitude and sureness and confidence, you know, as we step into the ball and the more decisive and more clear you are with your visualization imagery, or even just getting to a point of clarity from behind the ball, what you're really doing, Evan, is when you step into the ball, you're creating movement confidence, but you're doing that behind the ball. So you can actually step into the ball and then swing to your target with trust and assurance that your mind and focus was in the right place. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, hear from one of our brand new sponsors, and then we'll get you right back to the show. You're not going to want to fast forward through this one. Trust me. So I was reflecting the other day, guys, okay? And I was thinking, wouldn't it be crazy if we all had our own caddies? Not just a caddy at the club you play at or whatever, but literally your own dedicated caddy playing with buddies wherever. Wouldn't it be sweet if we had a caddy that, always gave us the perfect yardage for every shot. They factored in the wind. They factored in the elevation. They factored in how cold it was, right? A caddy that kept our stats, that told you that 90% of the time you miss the fairway to the right, right? So maybe that helps you with their alignment off the tee or maybe club selection. Or a caddy that kept track of your scores, right? And told you where your handicap was trending. But also, more importantly, told you where your buddies were shooting that week too. You can kind of compete thanks to your caddy for keeping track of it. Maybe even a caddy who, you know, is great with on-course, but also happens to be a swing instructor and can look at your swing and say, hey, you're getting a little too inside. Let's get you back on plane, right? 18 birdies is basically your own caddy in your pocket. I'm telling you, it's the number one GPS swing analyzer app in the world, and the app is an absolute game changer. They have data that says for premium users, and I'll get you a free trial as being a part train listener. Premium users on the 18 birdies app on average shave four shots off their handicap. Four. How crazy is that? I played with it the other day and you know, I don't hit the fairway every time. So the yardages, the plays like yardages, it was a game changer. But more importantly, guys, that's all great. Like your game's going to get better. It's guaranteed. It's in the data right? And I know you guys care about getting better if you listen to this show. And we're working on your mental game. The par train for the mental game and 18 birdies app for on course and stat tracking and swing analyzing, it's pretty much a deadly combo, right? But I think the coolest part and the big reason why I want you to download the 18 birdies app is because I'm starting a 
private par train group. And look, we get DMs of your scorecards every week. So now it's all going to be in one place. It's going to say who's leading the week in best score, who's leading the week in this stat and this stat. And we got our own little leaderboard. And it's going to be super fun. Okay, so I'm going to get you a free trial of this app. And all you got to do is hit the show notes of this episode and tap the link in those show notes. And that'll take you to download the app and join our group automatically. So it's super easy. It's going to improve your game. We don't just promote anything, right? This is the number one app in the world for this stuff. I come from tech, so I know a good app when I see it. And this is good stuff, guys. So join us on the 18 birdies train. Enter your scores. Improve your game. Shave four shots off your handicap. And let's start challenging each other to get even better in 2022. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to the show. Well, isn't it so funny, Bob, that it all roots with belief, right? The only reason that I'm super hyper-focused on hitting my position or this technical key that I think is key for my swing is the belief that my swing is not good enough without it. And I think that's the freeing thing, and that's the where the yeah buts come in, right? Where someone might hear this, and I, they might be an 18 handicap, and, you know, Rotella last week talked about how, yes, you still need to have the actual training and fundamentals, right? But, and he went through the four, you know, unconscious incompetence to unconscious Uh competence. And sure, you've got to go through those levels. But it just hit me recently, you know, what if I've been in conscious competence for so long because I haven't given myself the belief that I can be an unconscious and still be competent, you know, and that I think that roots in belief. Well, I think everything, I think the most important thing that any player has when they step into any golf shot, it is the word believe. If you take a look at the word believe, I mean, what does it really mean? It means that you have faith in something that you really can't, you know, tactically touch. It's something that's there. But in the middle of the word believe, B-E-L-I-E-V-E, is the word lie. Because if you don't buy into it hook, line, and sinker, if you don't believe that golf ball is going to the target, you're just lying to yourself. And that's the whole point. And that's the most important part of having this routine. Everybody talks about the automaticity, the number of looks, the sequencing. The single most important part of your routine is that moment of truth behind the ball when you say, yes, this is what I'm going to do. When I step across this trust line, and this is sort of the thinking and acting model I created many, many, many years ago before a, a lot of other people started you know, talking about you know, the different you know, think box, play box, all that. Yeah. But there's a time to think, there's a time to act. And the first moment of truth is when you get to that moment of commitment I know what I have to do. I see the shot. I've got the right club. And now I'm committing. I'm pledging and I'm promising myself this is what I'm going to do. So when I step across that trust line, I know I've got it. So the most important part of any routine is getting to that green light, getting to yes. Because if you don't have a green light behind the ball, when you step into the ball and you have a yellow light, red light, well, that's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to crash and burn. And you need to come back, reset, and recommit and get to a, you know, a green light. And that's sort of really what you're, where you're saying is that 
Everybody has this yes, but. See, that's the whole point when you, as a psychologist, I hear people give this great uh, litany, this great explanation of all the good things they do. And then they put in, but, all right. And that Mm -hmm. just washes everything they said before. And so everybody has this big butt, okay, that they, <laughs> that they talk about. And so the point being is you have to be able to say to yourself, you know, what is it that I'm really trying to do here? What is it that I want to achieve here? And, and part you know, this whole podcast is about helping people get better, help people enjoy themselves. But let's face it, this is a really tough honest, brutal game. And it really sort of takes you on a wild ride through all of our basic emotions, happiness, sadness, contempt, anger, fear. I mean, it is surprise. I mean, all of the basic human emotions are in a round of golf. And, and I think that's the great thing about, you know, going out and saying, I'm going to give myself permission to enjoy every one of these emotions. And the funny thing is, of all the basic human emotions, which is probably one of the strongest, is it wasn't recognized by the early personality psychologists, and that's love. When we say, you know, do you love this game? Well, you have to be able to say, I love this game. Or you have to be able to say, I've learned to love this game. Because if you can't love it or learn to love, you know, all the different things that are going to happen, uh, you probably need to find another game. You probably need to take up tennis or something else because... Yeah. This game will reveal your weakest link, and it will also give you the greatest joy when you have, you know, sort of that, that moment, that epiphany moment to say, wow, this is exactly what I need to be doing. And for you, when you step in and say, I'm going to give myself this creative freedom, this permission to step in and say, today, I'm going to play free. I'm not going to play you know, with all these technical, you know, analytical, evaluative type mindsets. I'm just going to go out there and play maybe with one freeing swing thought. And I'm going to do that and give my best all day. I'm, I'm going to jump right in here. Years, years ago, I wanted to tell the story. Go ahead. It was when I first started with, you know, David Ledbetter at the World Teaching Headquarters here in Championsgate, Florida. And I'm very fortunate, you know, that I had a lot of my players that worked with David and they said, hey, you know, Dr. Winters is moving down here. And David, you know, gave me the opportunity to join him. And it was early you know, on, you know, when I was with David that he had Justin Rose and Ian Poulter, and they were both working with David quite a bit. And they wanted to sort of kind of pick my brain a little bit. And I sat down with them, and especially with Justin early in their career. And I asked him, I said, have you ever given your very best your best effort, your best intention on every shot, you know, you've played in a tournament, you know, have you guys, either one of you done that? And we were just talking in very, you know, freely and openly. And they go, no, not at all. Is that even possible? I mean, yeah, I can will myself. I can concentrate. And I know a shot's really big, but can you do that? And I said, yes, you can. And I said, but it's a mental discipline. So when we start talking about confidence, Confidence is part of this whole equation. What another big part of great golf is the adherence and the compliance. Are you going to do the things you know you need to do in order to get to where you want to go? Meaning, are you going to actually say to yourself, okay, I'm going to give myself, you know, Evan, I'm going to give myself the freedom to just think one thing 
and be as creative as I can all day. Because what's hard for most people is that they have the best intentions going out, like a New Year's resolution. <laughs> and by the second or third day, they said, well, hell, this crap doesn't work. I'm going to go back to what's more familiar, what's more comfortable. And that's why we're always saying, and people have heard this, this cliche, you need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, at least for a little while. Because what we're really doing here is resetting habit formations. We're creating a new habit. But you also have to sort of let the old one dissolve. But you have to have the ability to step in there and say, I'm going to do this today, all day. And then at the end of the day, when you say, wow, you know, I'm not playing really well and I'm making a crap sandwich, you have to ask, you have to ask yourself, I'm going to make the best crap sandwich I can today because that's really what I'm going to have to eat at the end of the round. Yeah. And so just not going through the motions, but giving your best. And at the end of the day, when you look you know, at that man or woman in the mirror and you go, I was really proud of you because you gave your best all day today. And that is one statistic that isn't on any of the PGA Tour shot links or any of the databases. You know, did you, you know, were, were you and was your mindset and was your mood set? You know, did you give your best on each and every shot? And I think if people started doing a better job of that, they would see, you know, more enjoyment and they would see lower scores. Yeah, I think that's probably why. And, you know, I'm just a. Uh six handicap but still for me my big moments were you know member guests shootouts and rider cup trips and that's why for me in the biggest moments i actually played my best because i had the highest intentional focus and i at least had the training to not let the moment and the meaning of the result get in my way it actually just helped me laser into what i was trying to do um but I want now, to that's, ask that's that's a Luke Skywalker. That is a Jedi moment because yeah. when Luke Skywalker is coming in, I'm going to use this Star Wars analogy. When Luke Skywalker comes in to actually drop, you know, that photon bomb or whatever it was into the Death Star. You know, I have two young boys, so I mean, we watch a lot of Star Wars, <laughs> and he had Red Fox, Red Fox leader, and he could hear him in the back of his his, his helmet. He's going, "Stay on target, stay on target." It was helping people stay on task. And that's the you know, problem. That's why people have a lot of fear. And the acronym fear is that they focus everything around results or they focus on expectations and results. Mm. And in order to get through the fear, like stay on target, like what you're saying is that you had that high level of intentional focus and purpose is that you took F-E-A-R and you focused on execution. And then you accepted the result because when we have players who focus on execution versus focusing on expectations, their mind is on what is, what is going on in this moment. And that's the big thing that you know, I think most of our listeners here really should understand is that expectations really get in your way. And those are the expectations of score, results, outcomes, comparison. Am I going to win? If you would just let go of some of those expectations and get into what should I expect? You should expect to focus on execution, meaning staying in this moment, giving your very best effort on this one shot 
and being able to live with that, accept it, and move on to the next shot. That is really what we call a one-shot mindset. Because what most people fail to realize is that the most important number in golf, it's not 72, it's not par, it's not their personal best. It's one. It's the power of one, one shot. And, And that's why we always tell people, if you listen to the cliches, and that's where we started today, that's what they're saying. I stayed, you know, in, in the moment I played one shot at a time. I didn't get ahead of myself. I wasn't projecting score, which we have a lot of golfers do. 99% of all golfers are counters, predictors, projectors. They're already predicting what they're going to shoot after the first, you know, seven holes, what they're going to shoot for 18 holes. But if I can get people to stay in the moment, one shot at a time, they, they will separate themselves and they will make themselves unequal from everyone they're playing with. Totally. Yeah. I mean, one thing I want to ask you, and one of my players is actually um, struggling with this. We just started working together. And, you know, I think he's pretty common with a lot of amateur players that doesn't have a routine, right? Certain shots does something, other shot does something different. Where Where's a good starting point? For you, I know we talked about the power of having one executional feel for the day to kind of simplify things. But in regards to routine before the ball, before you actually hit a shot, there's a lot of things to choose from, and that can feel overwhelming. How do you help guide a player in selecting either if they don't have a routine, what routine should I go with, or players that are maybe wondering, maybe I need to simplify or refine my routine? How do they go about that? Well, I think uh, since I was at the University of Virginia and one of my great colleagues, uh, Dr. Patrick Cohn, really did all the similar work for pre-shot routines and it's kind of helping him, you know, get through his, you know, research at the time. And, and we did a lot of things with routines at the University of Virginia while we were there with Bob Rotella and some great people, Dr. Linda Bunker, some of the mm-hmm. best people in the world. We looked at all sorts of routines. But for me, the routine, you know, the best place to start is a simple marksmanship routine. Mm. It's ready, aim, fire. And so the ready phase, that's really the first thing that you're asking about, you know, what is it going to take for you to get ready? So, you know, you have to take a look at this plan. For me, it's all about creating the plan. That's the first start of any great routine, Evan, is that because it's like John Wooden, the great basketball coach said, If you fail to plan, you're just planning to fail. So Mm -hmm. creating that plan, you know, helps you become decisive. You're evaluating all the different options for this shot. Now, some players do that very quickly. Others are much more deliberate. But you have to ask them, what are you thinking about? What's going on here? What are you you planning to do? And what is it that you want to do? And then the next part of that is being able to rehearse in a physical form the feel of the swing that it's going to take for them to execute that shot to actually match, you know, that plan they had in their head. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is, you know, behind the ball, you're asking behind the ball, as far as your routine is, will you commit to that? And a commitment is a pledge and a promise that you're going to carry out this, this plan of action. And then if you do all those things, then you can give yourself that allowance, which we call trust. I know everything's going to be okay. And that's when you step into the ball to aim and align. But that's the first thing is you get ready. You step into the ball, you aim and align, 
and then you fire. And yeah. just keeping that simple. Some players, you know, they say, well, you know, that just seems too deliberate. It seems too slow. All right. But, you know, when you step into the ball, do you know that you're ready, you know, to hit this shot? Do you know the ball is going to go to the target? But I think part, you know, really having a routine is that it organizes a lot of random scattered thoughts. I mean, think about this. I mean, we have about 66,000 thoughts a day. And two-thirds of those thoughts are negative, self-limiting thoughts. And the other 22, well, 22,000, they could go anywhere. So what I'm trying to do is say, when we step into the ball, we have about seven to eight seconds to get ourselves organized. I mean, talking about once we've actually decided on the shot, when we actually step forward across the trust line, it takes about seven to eight seconds to get ourselves aimed and aligned to our target. And then we actually initiate the takeaway, you know, from the club. I need for those seven or eight seconds, I need for that player to be resolute in their determination to swing that feel to that target. And they should have a really strong memory sense of where that target is. And I come from a sports vision background, you know, along with my sports psychology background, because I realize that the visual system tells the motor system directly, this is where we want to go. So when we look at the target and we come back to the ball, we want to refresh that picture to the target. And then we come back to the ball and then we swing. So those are the things, you know, if you're working with, you know, your player, uh, I I would say those are the things, you know, that would really, really help to simplify because really a routine is nothing more than ready, aim, fire. Yeah. I don't see how it gets any simpler than that. And you have to ask yourself, when it's time to aim and fire, do you have a green light? Are you, are you totally there? And if you're not there, then we need to go back and get ready because you're not ready at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great, like, do I have a green light? I think that's a great reminder. Um, it goes to Dr. Joe Parent we've had on the show, talks about anyways. It's a similar uh, idea, right, of if, you got, if you're hitting it anyway, even though you don't feel like you have the right club or you don't feel committed to the shot, that's when you get in trouble. Well, um, I've, yeah, I've always said, you know, I think Joe's right on. I've always said that anyway thought leads the ball going anywhere. There you go. And that's why you never hit a shot. You never. And if, if the listeners only get one thing out of this podcast from Dr. Bob Winters, is that you never, ever, ever hit a shot until you're fully committed to actually hitting that shot to where you want it to go. If you are unsure, uncomfortable, you know, a little unsettled, back off. And I know a lot of people go, oh, man, you're going to slow the game down with all this routine stuff. And I'm sitting here going, hold on. Let's think about this common sense, because mm-hmm. common sense isn't that common, according to the philosopher Disraeli. I think when you really process it, when you step back and you take maybe an extra five, 10 seconds, and I don't know if we've got USGA rules officials sitting there timing us, right? But I'd rather take five, 10 seconds behind the ball to get absolutely sure this is what I want to do and then step in and hit a good shot versus, oh, everybody's looking at me. I'll go ahead and hit it anyway. And then you hit it in the water. You hit it out of bounds. Uh, you hit it in the woods. And then you spend three, four, five, 10 minutes looking for your ball or you cost yourself several unforced penalty error shots. So for me, just back away, refocus. It's really one of the most professional things 
that you know an amateur player at any handicap level can really benefit from. Well, it's one of my favorite things you've ever said, Bob, where you said uh, less self-image, more target image, right? That's the funny thing, you know, because you, I know you had, you know, Dr. Bob on last week and yeah. I'm the other Dr. Bob. You've yeah. got Dr. <laughs> Bob Rotella, the Italian, and you've got Dr. Bob Winters, uh, the guy with the really good hair. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so years ago, you know, inspiring, I was at a uh, sports psychology conference and I had, you know, the real pleasure of uh, sitting down. And obviously I spent years, you know, with Bob Rotella at Virginia, but Dr. Bruce Ogilvie, who came out of Texas and graduated from, uh, I think, San Diego State or University of London as well. And he was really the father of applied American sports psychology. He had worked with the Dallas Cowboys and all these NBA and NFL teams back in the 60s when sports psychology wasn't even uh, something right. to talk about. A sports psychologist, oh my God, I don't want that shrink. Okay, but as sports yeah. psychologists, we like to think of ourselves as big thinkers, enlargers. Okay. So I sat down, you know, with Dr. Bruce Ogilvie and Dr. Bob Rotella. Bruce, you know, I, I guess we hit it off, you know, right away. He liked me right away. And he looked at me, he goes, well, Bob, he goes, what do you think, you know, is the very best image, you know, for an athlete to have? And so here is, you know, two of the premier people in the world asking me. And I looked at him dead in the eyes, like I'm looking at you. And he's, and I told him, I said, the best self-image self for an athlete to have, golfer or football player, any athlete, is no self-image at all. I said, you mm -hmm. never put awareness on yourself, like self-awareness. You put your awareness, your focus into the activity, into the target, you know, because, you know, now you're not, you know, constrained to your own self-awareness, your own self beliefs. I mean, think about it. I mean, when you're over a shot and you're coming down the stretch of a tournament, you have 150 yards to a shot to an island green. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people around the green. Say it's for your club championship. Now you're over this shot. If you have this conscious self-image, this psychological representation of, ooh, what it would mean, you know, mm -hmm. and, or I'm going to give, you know, the acceptance speech. And I can't wait to hold the trophy or I'm going to make my mom and dad and people and my wife happy you are hell in a handbasket from where you need to be because that 150 yard shot, it's a 150 yard shot and the golf ball doesn't know what it is. Right. So what we need to do is get our awareness from ourself into the task at hand, stay on task, stay on target, look at the shot and have a target image versus a self image. And that for me, and, and when I said that, Bruce Ogilvy looked at Bob Rotella and he said, that is probably the very best answer I've ever heard. Mm. He goes, that's great. And so I, I looked at, you know, Dr. Bob Rotella, he gave his big smile. He's going, hmm, all right, <laughs> yeah. that's, pretty, that's pretty good. And I'm going, okay. And I, and, I, and I knew right then that was a marker for me in my professional career because, as I said, I was in – positive psychology, sports vision, athletics, coach, or whatever. I've worn a lot of different hats. So instead of just being, and it's like you say, you come you know, from a different background. Uh, I'm sort of a hybrid out here. I mean, I look at myself as a player, as a coach, as a teacher, as a psychologist, researcher. And to me, it really doesn't matter how many degrees you have behind your name. What the most important thing is, 
when you provide information to people, do they have that resonance? Do they have that light bulb go off in their head? Do you connect? You know, do you communicate? I mean, really connect with that person. And they go, aha, oh man, that makes sense. That's great. And it doesn't have to be anything super, super technical or super scientific, but it has to resonate, you know, with that person. And that's why I think when we start talking about working with some of the world's best athletes, some of the world's most emotionally challenged athletes, and some of the most average athletes that want to become as good as they can possibly be, I think that's the whole point. If it sounds really super scientific, if it sounds super technical, that's not what the best people in the world are doing. I mean, this is a difficult enough game. And that's why we need to simplify. So one of my acronyms for KISS is not keep it simple, stupid. It's keep it simple and specific. Mm. Simple thoughts, specific target. And if you can do that, have a simple thought, stepping in and swinging to a very specific target, uh, you're, you're on your way you know, to really playing some much better golf. I love that. Well, I, I can't believe we only have five minutes left. I haven't even been able to get into your work with Brooks. Uh, <laughs> you know, Arnold, you've known, you knew Arnold Palmer well. Um, and I was going to talk about Tom Coyne. So we'll probably need to bring you back, but let's go to Brooks. Cause I know people are going to want to hear about your work with Brooks. I mean, I think the first word people would think about Brooks is confidence. So it makes sense that the confidence doctor has worked with Brooks. What, what's what been a key for Brooks? What have you guys worked on? What's something that the average player can take away from that? Well, you know, I worked with Brooks, you know, many years ago in his formative years when he was brought to the Ledbetter Golf Academy to work yeah. with a brilliant instructor by the name of Kevin Smeltz. And Kevin said, hey, Brooks, you know, I think could really benefit from your help. So that be, became, you know, a multi-year uh, assignment as he went through his high school, you know, relationship there with Cardinal Newman. And when I first sat down with Brooks and before he went to Florida State and I was working with him when he went to Florida State and on, I looked at him and I said, are you good? And that's the first question I asked all my athletes that because I'm looking for a knee-jerk response. And he looked at me, he goes, yeah, you know, very good. And there was a, there was a definite quality to that. And I said, what, what makes you good? And he goes, you know, I've, I practice hard. You know, I've won tournaments. I've done this. I said, well, how good do you want to be? And he goes, I want to be great. It wasn't, you know, I said, well, how great do you want to be? Because I don't know if I'm going to be number one in the world or whatever, but, you know, PGA Tour for sure. And let's just find out. He goes, but I know one thing. He goes, uh, you know, I want to be great. And as I was listening to him, hmm. I saw a lot of myself in him because, you know, early, I mean, early, and, you know, when I was really, really young, you know, most people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Astronaut, doctor, lawyer. I just said, hmm, I want to be great. I don't know how that, but I want to be great. But he wanted to be great. But he had a baseball background. His father was a professional baseball player. And, you know, when I just talked with him, but the things that we worked on from a very early, you know, start was the things that you and I've talked about today. What's the most important number? And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. What's most important is what you think about you. And when you step up on the tee, will you give yourself the permission to play Brooks Kepka golf? That's really what I told Brooks. I told him, you know, at the very beginning. And I said, and the only person 
that can really interfere with Brooks Kepka is this angry Brooks Kepka because yeah. he had a temper. And I said, listen, I don't want to actually squelch that fire in the belly. I said, but if you like steak, I don't know if you like the medium or medium rare or medium well, but you know, when a person gets angry, I mean, they are cooking that steak well done and it doesn't taste good for anybody, especially the guy, you know, that's cooking the steak is going to have to eat it. And I remember that was one of our stories, but as the years, you know, went on, he developed and took ownership of these Dr. Bob Winter's philosophies. And you hear that, you know, in a lot of his, uh, press interviews. He goes, I don't really worry about anybody. He goes, I'm just going to beat the golf course because yeah. that was just wind him up, just go out, play your game, beat, you know, the golf course and beat it one shot at a time. And if you do that, boom, you don't have to worry about anybody else. Because I was talking to him about the perception of control. You can't control anybody else other than yourself. And that's really what everyone here on this podcast, when you go out to play today, tomorrow, next week, Give yourself permission to play your game the way you see it, because it's your dime, your nickel, and your dime. And if you're playing, you might as well play the way you want to and enjoy the heck out of it. And I think that's really what I've given you on know, just not only Brooks, but every tour player, college player, junior player. And I'm not dumbing it down for anybody. I, I give everybody the same message and everybody interprets it you know, the way that they see fit because, you know, the good word, it's gospel. It's the good word for somebody who's 12, somebody who's 22 or somebody who's 82. It's the same good stuff. And I always help people remember the golf ball doesn't know how old you are. doesn't know how good you are, how poor you are. All it understands is that <laughs> it just understands yeah. contact. And if you can get your mind in the right place, it's great. And I always tell people, you know, my tagline is that the moment you change your mind, you change your game. And what that means is the moment you change your mind about the things you're thinking about, if you're thinking bad stuff, then change your mind. Get it, you know, to more focused, more productive, purposeful stuff. Because the moment you change your mind about the things you're thinking about, those things start to change as well. And that's why I ad adopted that change your mind change your game. And I trademarked it internationally. So it's just yeah. a very simple thing. And if somebody said, you know, what would you call, you know, this podcast today, I would say, change your mind, change your game. Mm. Love that. Well, action follows thought, as you've said, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, I was going to ask you one thing to leave the listeners with to reiterate, but I think that's it. The, well, I'll tell you what, and, and the biggest thing is, you know, I think, you know, the one thing to put in the mental toolbox, you know, change your mind, change your game, but always, always, always before you step in, do you have a green light? Mm -hmm. Have you said, yes, this is what I want to do? Because for me, that's the most important thing. Because if you step into a shot and you're uncertain, you're unsure, that ball can go anywhere. So back off, change your mind, change your game. And get to that green light. And if you do that, it's going to be a lot of fun. I love it. Well, what a thrill for us to have two Dr. Bobs on the train back-to-back -back weeks. Dr. Bob Winter, this was amazing. Um, TheConfidenceDoctor.com, DrBobWinters.com, Dr.BobWinters on Instagram. Mistake Free Golf is an amazing book. 
I would encourage people to get that. Anywhere else that you'd want to send people or did did I hit well, all of them? Well, they could go to davidledbetter.com. You know, I have a new uh, audio sort of hypnosis series called Tournament Thoughts, Taking It to the Course, oh, where cool. I actually take you from, you know, practice rounds to the night before, laying in bed to, you know, warming up to, you know, 13 different little chapters that you listen to. So they could go to davidledbetter.com and ledbetteruniversity.com to actually get that. I have a new putting course that's on uh, theconfidencedoctor.com. But there's a lot of different things. And you talked about my great friend, Tom Coyne, and how, you know, we got together with Paper Tiger and all of that. So I'd love to come back and uh, join the train. And hey, thanks for having me on this Dr. Bob doubleheader. Okay, back, yeah. back to back. I tell you what, it's, it's a real privilege, you know, to follow him and, and great, you know, to meet you and continued success, you know, with the PAR train. This has uh, been one enjoyable ride today, Evan. I appreciate that, Bob. And it's been a huge thrill for me. And as I told you off air, you know, you and all the other folks that we've talked to on the show are a real inspiration, not only for me personally, trying to help people as well, but more importantly for our listeners. You know, I know people are are messaging us every week about their shooting their lowest scores, but more importantly, enjoying themselves more than they ever have and scores following that. And um, I know this episode will be a huge I, I, I know it'll continue that. So thank you again, Bob. You have a great rest of your week. I appreciate you coming on. All right, bud. You know, and may you always find your ball at the bottom of the cup. I love it. Take care. Bob. <laughs> Take care.